We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Happy to be joined by Alex, of course. Alex, how are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good today. So, Hard Knocks was yesterday, and we are... Uh, tomorrow will be the Chargers scrimmage, and we are just like, I don't know, like a, a week away from final cuts, and then we're right into the season. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, it, it has been a very long summer, but, you know, September is next week, which is crazy. You know, hard to believe that... Um, Time can be so slow, but also come so quick. Um, so it's just, you know, we are just under two weeks away from Cincinnati Bengals week. Um, lots to, to talk about for sure as training camp ra- uh, wraps up. Um, I do also just want to start with this. Um, you know, I think the world is going uh, kind of crazy right now. There's obviously a lot of, a lot of stuff going, along, going around with... Uh, you know, the NBA is boycotting games and things like that. And, you know, I don't really want to touch on the political side of things. I just want to say, you know, uh, take care of your loved ones, man. And, you know, take care of yourself. I think self-care right now is so important because there's so much negativity going on in the outside world. And I think uh, each of us just deserves a day to, to kind of just sit back and, 
and relax and take care of our, our minds and take care of, of our bodies and make sure that we are treating ourselves uh, like we deserve to be treated. And, you know, mental health is, is so important. And I think with all the negativity going around, uh, I think each of us just deserves a break every once in a while. Thanks, man. Um, so let's get into hard knocks. Um, I thought this episode was much better than the other uh, than the other two. I think that obviously you know there was more action. There wasn't just walkthroughs and uh, COVID testing to go on. But uh, what, what was your what was your first impression or main takeaway from uh, last night's episode? Uh, so I had a couple takeaways. My first one or my favorite part of the episode was the Keenan Allen Chris Harris uh, segment. Uh, I just thought yeah. that was really fun. And, you know, you could just kind of see that there was still not really like bitterness. Obviously, they're on the same team, but there was still some of that rivalry uh, between those two. And you could really see that. And uh, I really enjoyed the part where Keenan was talking about uh, how every interception against Harris was uh, Phil's fault uh, (laughs) and specifically mentioning, you know, um, he thinks it would have been fun if Rivers saw Harris uh you know, as a Chargers, so it got me thinking, you know, I think the Chargers moved on from Rivers at the right time, but it would have been really funny to see Rivers, uh, Keenan Allen, and Chris Harris all on the same team in hard knocks. Uh, so I think that that would have been really fun. So yeah, I think Phil definitely would have brought in some, some juice, and like you said, I do think that they moved on at the right time, but man, it would have been a lot of fun to watch him and Chris Harris and, and Derwin go at it and things like that. Um, my main takeaway, honestly, was Melvin Ingram. I think, you know, the situation uh, of him holding in was so blown out of proportion on, on Twitter. And, you know, you mentioned it in our episode, just like we need to t- kind of take a step back and realize, you know, the, this wasn't a, a normal holdout situation. You know, he was he was always at practice and we saw – you know, his leadership shine through in this episode. I think, you know, how he pulled Jerry Tillery aside and how he pulled, um, I want to say, uh, I want to say it was Lemonier maybe. No, no, no. no. Um, I think, I think, uh, might've been him, but he was also talking to, uh, Fahoko, I think. That's right. That's right. It was Fahoko. That's right. Um, and it was one of the undrafted guys. So I, I thought his leadership really shined through and obviously he, you know, they went to the studio and, I was waiting for them to, to do that and see when they would you know throw that in there, um, but I thought Melvin the montage on Melvin was fantastic and I think they really did did a good job of showing like listen he's committed. Um, the defensive line coach saying to I want to say it was Gus Bradley you know Melvin wants to retire on the same team he wants to be a Charger for life, and you know I'm hoping that uh, is the case as well. Yeah, I think that was the de- uh, defensive line coach uh, Giff Smith. Yeah, he was talking to. Uh, Lynn about how he wants to, you know, truly, uh, well, truly wants to start and finish with the same organization, and I think that that was uh, very cool and also very true to Melvin. Uh, if you know, I think Ingram would love the chance to stay here. Um, you know, there, there's always the chance that some team like the Jets offers him twenty million dollars, and maybe that's an offer he can't turn down. Um, but I think that he definitely wants to stay with the Chargers, and I think, you know, he has the coaches and players on his side, too. Joey Bosa mentions in this episode that, uh, that they hope they, he, or he hopes that they keep Melvin around. Anthony Lynn, uh, mentions, you know, he would like to keep Melvin around. 
So, you know, everyone's really on his side, and I think everyone, including the coaching staff, was impressed with how he held in uh, as opposed to holding out. Um, so, you know, the way that he was still there for team meetings, walkthroughs, being at the facility, still giving advice to players, um, and then, you know, being that leader immediately when he got back as well, uh, you know, giving advice, you know, I, I just think that was that's what Melvin's been for the last nine nine years on the Chargers, or this is going into his ninth. So that's what his uh, that's what he's been as a veteran leader on this team. And I really liked some of the moments he had in those uh, scrimmages they had in practice where uh, he knocks uh, Hunter Henry on his butt and tells yeah. him to get in the weight room. And yeah. then, uh, <laughs> yeah, after he picked off Justin Herbert, he said, uh, that's why I need my guaranteed ass money. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I like how he called his shot, too, because he asked and he's like, hey, if we get a turnover, we're done, right? Yeah. And then it was like the next play, he gets a one-handed pick. It was awesome. <laughs> right, yeah. He, he was just so fun this episode, and I think just really showed his professionalism all the way through. And, you know, people look, and, uh, look to him and admire him on the team. And it's clear that he's just one of the most um, important chargers. And I hope uh, this offseason or whenever it happens that they find a way uh, to keep him on the team. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think Melvin definitely shined in this episode. The other thing that really was was kind of funny to listen to was just the the one liners from the coach from the coaching staff. You know, when Anthony Lynn was telling the guys during the team meeting, um, you know, it seemed like he was kind of talking to the borderline uh, roster guys who could potentially get cut. And he was like, if you're a turd, I'm going to tell everybody that you're a turd. Yeah. Uh, or his direct quote was like, if your ass is a turd, I'm going to tell them that your ass is a turd. So that was funny. And then, of course, to end it, um, Coach Lott, man, he, he's a character. And he, hey, man, that's my nuts. Hey, those are still my nuts. <laughs> yeah, Coach Lott is, uh, is a funny character for sure. Uh, so any other standouts uh, from Hard Knocks before we get into the rest of the training camp news? Uh, I'd say the wide receiver three battle was interesting, and that's also part of training camp news, but we saw specifically the opening in this episode was uh, Phil McJogan, uh, and, you know, every Anthony Lynn also talking about, yeah, you know, if you don't block for me, uh, you don't play for me and all that. Um, so there was kind of a more intense effort, I think, about the wide receiver three being a more complete player. Uh, rather than just being good in one thing, you know, being a burner receiver or being, uh, you know, being a slot guy, it was, you know, trying to do everything as much as you can. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah, so there was the wide receiver three battle. Uh, so we'll see how that goes next week. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Tyrod's, uh, Tyrod's leadership. I think that that kind of shined through in this episode as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, we saw kind of moments of, you know, how his career has panned out so far, right? He started as the Ravens backup, then in Buffalo, then in Cleveland. Uh, and that's kind of led him to this point, uh, being the Chargers starter. So I thought that that sequence was interesting because it kind of was a contrast between his leadership style, which is kind of more quiet, reserved, um, a little bit introverted. Uh, but Anthony Lynn is, as Anthony Lynn said, that's okay because he's still an effective communicator versus, you know, uh, Philip Rivers was obviously uh, very extroverted, very boisterous, uh, and was kind of very loud in general. So it's kind of a contrast right. of that leadership style. And so I'm curious to see if Herbert, uh, as a rookie, 
would kind of like learning from someone who is kind of more similar to his personality so that's something that we'll see and uh anthony lynn actually made the same comparison at the start of training camp about a month ago uh when he said something along the lines of basically that you know herbert's uh, personality is kind of very similar with tyrod so you know we'll see if that you know has any impact on his development yeah absolutely i think that was really interesting and um for those of you who don't subscribe to The Athletic, you know, Daniel Popper did write a story uh, a few days ago. And uh, in that story, you know, he mentioned Tyrod Taylor's leadership and how um, I believe it was on Thursday, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Tyrod, who used to be the holder, obviously, on field goals and PATs, stayed after for a long time and was holding uh, balls for Ty Long, who obviously is the backup kicker who did a wonderful job standing in for Michael Badgley last year when he was hurt. Um, and, you know, I think there's so many different ways that you can be a leader of a football team. Obviously, there's guys like Melvin and Derwin James who are, um, you know, really boisterous and bring the juice kind of leaders, Keenan Allen as well. Um, and then there's guys like Tyrod who are just going to lead by example and make sure that, um, you know, they cover all their bases. And I think that's totally fine. I think each football team, uh, is going to be run differently, and at the end of the day, it, it's just uh, up to the head coach to figure out what works for, for them and what works for their players. So uh, we're going to transition now to kind of talk about the news and notes. Um, when we recorded last, obviously Mike Williams had been hurt. Um, we knew that um, the, the reports were optimistic. Now we know that it's an AC joint sprain. Um I believe it was Tom Pelosero said that the timetable is four to six weeks or no, two to four weeks. Right. Um, Daniel Popper seems to think that this could be anywhere from four to eight weeks. Um, Obviously that would be uh, quite a big loss. If he misses eight weeks, that would make him uh, miss the first five games all the way up until the saints game. So um, obviously this is still up in the air. I don't think we're going to get much clarity for the next few days until he uh, gets back in practice and can kind of, see how sore his shoulder is or not. Um, you know, that being said, this is, this is a really good opportunity for the young guys to kind of get first team reps and get as, as many reps as possible. Um, you know, we've heard that KJ Hill and Jalen Guyton have been getting a lot more reps recently. Obviously Joe Reed um, is in the mix too, but he's also been getting reps at the running back position the last couple of days. Um, so what do you make of this wide receiver group? Sands, Mike Williams. If Mike Williams misses time, how big of a loss do you think this is? Who do you think kind of steps into that wide receiver two role? Just your overall thoughts on on this uh, new position battle. I guess it depends on how long he's out. If he's out two weeks, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, and I think that they can get by. Although, you know, missing him for that Chiefs game is uh, not great because Mike Williams does tend to do pretty well against the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, we saw him in the Mexico game last year, and then obviously 2018, he had, you know, <laughs> the game to end all games against the Chiefs. Um, right. You know, and, you know, that was the first Chargers win against the Chiefs in, like, what, nine years? Um, so, you know, he, he's been pretty good against the Chiefs whenever he plays, so that would be a loss for that one. If it's four weeks, that starts to get into more iffy territory for me, uh, just because I, I think that that's such a difficult thing to deal with when you're having uh, receivers that are as young as K.J. Hill, Joe Reed, 
uh, and Jalen Guyton and others are on the roster. And, you know, I think I like that depth better than what they had last year a little bit Absolutely. because the, the, you know, they really had Travis Benjamin, Dontrell Inman, and all those guys went down, and then they were just plucking guys off their practice squad and just trying to fit it in. So I definitely think the depth is a little bit better this year. But, I, you know, I think people undersell Mike Williams uh, kind of constantly just because, you know, Keenan Allen's there. But I think Tyrod's honestly going to love throwing to Mike Williams, and, you know, he likes having that big-body guy that can, you know, go up and uh, go up for a jump ball. Or even as we saw in that uh, Arizona preseason game, not even for a jump ball, but just, you know, go for a really quick uh, kind of out-of-bounds uh, route and, you know, have a, ni- have a nice catch, you know. So I don't think that Mike Williams being out is a, uh, a good thing, but I I don't... I think it's manageable if it's short-term. If it's long-term, four to eight weeks, that starts to get more questionable for me, and that's going to be totally reliant on... You know, how ready is Joe Reed? How ready is KJ Hill? How ready is Jalen Guyton? And I don't really know the answer to any of those questions. Uh, yeah, obviously better than last year. You know, last year's situation, once Inman went down, you know, it was just, it was tough. And um, kind of going back to the Hard Knocks thing, like Andre Patton, basically, he was like a stabilizing force because he was a good blocker. And so at least, you know, he did something well. Um, but this, obviously, if this is short term, it's not that big of a deal. But you know, this is kind of why Jason and I wanted the Chargers to draft a receiver, you know, semi-early. Because as much as I like the picks of Joe Reed and KJ Hill, I don't think either of them are really uh, capable of being a potential wide receiver too for a few weeks. Um, you know, I think KJ Hill probably because of his reliability and just you know the team knows what they have in him. I would assume he would be like the wide receiver too. Um, or maybe Jalen Guyton would as well. But, you know, if it's one week, if it's two weeks, the team will be okay. Uh, obviously, it helps to have Keenan Allen, and it helps to have Austin Eckler and Hunter Henry. And um, while obviously someone would have to te- step into Mike Williams' snaps, I would more expect, you know, the targets to increase for Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and, and Austin Eckler more so than, you know, someone in step- someone coming into Mike Williams' role and getting – you know, four or five catches, maybe that would be the case. I don't know. But um, if it does turn out to be six, eight weeks and he's missing all the way up until the Saints game, that that worries me. Um, luckily, we know that Mike Williams is, is, you know, he played all of last season basically on a bum knee. So uh, if anyone can kind of come back from this earlier than we all think, it's Mike Williams and, and kind of play through it. Obviously, I hope that he fully recovers. I think if he if he sits out week one and and gets to 100%, I would much rather him do that than play week one at 80%. So, I would I would also say one of the things that we don't know uh, about the Mike Williams thing to some extent is we don't know you know where Tyrod likes and which you know uh, which targets he likes and how often he likes going to them, right? With Philip right. Rivers last year, um, when all the receivers went down, it was very clear that he was throwing to primarily Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, a little bit of Hunter Henry, and obviously uh, a big part of that was Austin Eckler, right? So he was throwing to those guys, and you know it just got to a point where <laughs> you know he got to you know wide receivers three through five. I'm not throwing to them, which yeah. which made a lot of sense, except uh, down the stretch in Oakland, right? Um, 
you know, or that, you know, the drop ball that Jalen Guyton had in the Jags game. But so, you know, I think Phillip Rivers last year when everyone went down, it was a very like stick with what you know kind of experience where I whereas I could see Tyrod kind of being a little bit different because Tyrod has only been here really as the starter this year. Um, and he might not be as familiar with his targets, so that might result in him spreading out the ball a little bit more than Phillip Rivers just throwing to Keenan Allen and just throwing to Mike Williams. So I'm curious to see how exactly, you know, Tyrod spreads the ball around in the event of a Mike Williams injury. Right. Um, and also, you know, how reliant is he on certain targets? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we, we can kind of take his Buffalo days and, and kind of get some patterns. Obviously, that was a long time ago. Um, but he likes his tight ends, and that's, you know, kind of been uh, continuing throughout training camp. And so I would expect Hunter Henry to be heavily involved going forward. Um, I think, you know, he only had a small handful of games of Sammy Watkins of really having a, a true number one wide receiver. So um, that'll be interesting to see how you know, how he sustains, you know, this much talent around him and, and really how many pass attempts they'll give him a game. Um, I do want to transition now to Joe Reed. I think Joe Reed's uh, kind of role is really interesting. And, and I assumed that eventually he would be getting some reps at running back and maybe motion into the backfield every now and then. But he's practiced two days in a row <laughs> with the running backs. Um you know, I, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know if he, they're going to give him three or four carries a game or if this is just them kind of testing it out. But obviously, Jerry is doing something right because Anthony Lynn has, you know, expressed full trust in, in Reed's mental capacity and his ability to handle all these different roles that the team is going to throw at him, it seems. Right. Uh, I think Joe Reed was kind of always looked at as a bit of a jack-of-all-trades option, right? Uh, they probably view him as, right, they obviously view him as a kick returner, right, and he's competing with Darius Jennings to see, you know, who's going to be returning kicks uh, this season, or at least to start the season. Then, you know, you obviously have his skills as a wide receiver, which he really developed into at Virginia, and, you know, now they feel, you know, with his speed, and he has decent speed, he has 4-4 speed, they can put him at running back, and, you know, he's pretty physical as well. So... I, I think they're going to try moving him all around the field. And, um, you know, if he can really grow and develop into that kind of wild card type option, um, I think that would take the offense to all kinds of new places. Um, so, you know, it's worth trying out. And I hope it works for Reed. Um, I would kind of prefer if maybe they had him at wide receiver three to start and then started going into kind of the, you know, training to be kind of that offensive wild card you know get good at one thing and then start to kind of branch out but they're throwing at him all at once and if he can take it he can take it yeah absolutely um just for fun i did i did tweet this out about uh obviously the cordero patterson thing um but then I, i i went and i looked at uh percy harvin um percy harvin his rookie year let me make sure I'm, I'm pulling this up. Um, his rookie year, he had 60 catches and he had 15 carries. And that and then it kind of went down and up. And so um, then his uh, third year, he had 62 catches 
and he had 52 carries, which I think, you know, I'm not saying that Joe Reed is going to be Percy Harvin. You know, obviously we have no idea if that's going to happen or not, but I think, you know, picturing this kind of role where Joe Reed maybe gets 30 catches and, and 30 carries, you know, I think that's possible this year for him. I think, you know, we could see him touching the ball a lot more than we think right now. And, um, maybe that pushes uh, Justin Jackson out of a job. You know, I'm just kind of speculating because Joshua Kelly continues to make make uh, plays and make noise at training camp. Um, does Joe Reed's potential role kind of change anything for you in terms of the running back uh, running back room? I mean, it could. I, I don't know if there's enough to go off of that yet. I would say that Minnesota's offense, when they had Percy Harvin, was kind of... <laughs> Um, pretty underdeveloped in terms of the weapons they had, so they kind of needed him in those first years to like do something. And he he was also like a first round pick, right? Or first or yeah, second round? First or second, yeah. right? Um, so that's also a difference with Joe Reed, who you know was drafted in the fifth round. So, right. I think that he has a chance to definitely contribute early. I would actually lean that he'll probably have more receptions than I think rushes just because they have Eckler and Jackson and Kelly back there. So I think he'll definitely get some rushing attempts. If I had to guess it, I think it'll be something like mm, 35 receptions, you know, maybe 15, 20 rushes. I would guess that it would be somewhere kind of around there. But, you know, it, it could really go any way. I, I just think they'll use his skills more as a receiver, uh, kind of lining up in the slot, you know, doing whatever he needs to do, um, splitting out wide. So I think they'll use him more in that way than as a running back, but it's always possible that he could, you know, the coaching staff can maybe convert him to running back or they view him as someone that's better than Jackson right now. Uh, it'll also come, come down to injuries, right? If, you know, Justin Jackson gets hurt or Joshua Kelly gets hurt, Right, that obviously opens up things that they can do with uh, Joe uh, Joe Reed in that kind of role. So injuries and depth at each position. Right, if if running back is a little more deep than wide receiver at points, then I think they'll need Joe Reed to play wide receiver more. If running backs start kind of dropping due to injury, then they'll need Joe Reed, I think, to play running back more. So the, I think it'll be kind of a a play it by ear and also play it by week and opponent kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think having 35 and 20, I think that would be a really good ratio for him. Um, so I do want to talk about Kenneth Murray as well. Uh, he obviously had a press conference today, and so did Gus Bradley. And obviously they talked about, and Gus talked about uh, Kenneth Murray. And, um, you know, one thing that was really exciting to me when I was watching him is that Oklahoma really used him in a different in a different way. You know, he wasn't a traditional middle linebacker you know sometimes he'd rush the passer sometimes he'd drop into coverage and then obviously sometimes he'd play the middle um and he said today that he you know he's prided himself on being that versatile uh playmaker but it seems that you know the opposite of joe reed is happening with kenneth murray because they're focusing on the mike linebacker position he wants to perfect that position first and then, you know, as, as things come and go, that maybe they'll kind of expand his role a little bit. And that we did kind of see that with Derwin James as well. Um, maybe that just is, is different versus defense and offense and how they treat rookies. But, um, yeah, I think 
the Mike linebacker position and the whole linebacker room in general is really interesting um, because we've talked about Denzel Perryman having value, being that early down, short yardage kind of guy. And then obviously Kenneth Murray is is the linebacker of the future for, for this team. Yeah, so I don't know totally what to make of Kenneth Murray, but I think that him starting at Mike isn't a bad thing. And then, you know, as, you know, as he starts to get better, as he starts to improve, then they can kind of move him around more like they did with Derwin James. So I think that's probably what his uh, future this year is going to be. It's tough to tell, you know, what's the difference between Joe Reed, you know, doing all this versatility and Kenneth Murray. You know, I would say Joe Reed had a lot of versatility um, in kick returning and kind of sort of, I would say he was kind of all around the field a little bit more than Kenneth Murray, who uh, was playing linebacker, but he was also playing linebacker in the Big 12. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of like (laughs) a, a, a differentiation, I think. You know, and that's not a diss on Kenneth Murray. It's just like... You know the it's way just the reality of the situation. Right, yeah. the way that the Big Twelve plays defense is a lot different than the NFL plays defense, or say in the case of someone like Derwin James, uh, how you know a safety lines up in the SEC, uh, ACC, right? So I think it's a little bit different in terms of what you're expected to do uh, on all plays, but I definitely think he'll come around eventually, and I think they'll give him more responsibilities and probably. Uh, kind of lay off Denzel Perriman a little bit uh, as the season goes on. Uh, but I would say, yeah, I think he'll start at Mike, and then they'll see if they can work him around at will, maybe, and we'll kind of go from there. My, my guess is that he'll end up playing a decent amount of positions by the time the season ends. The thing that sucks for him is, with all the other rookies, as we keep saying on the show, is just, you know, didn't get the off season, uh that they wanted. And that's kind of the blow that I think some of their off seasons are taking. Yeah, um, it's 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 been tough. I think you know, especially with his injury, the just you know the reps have become even more limited. So I think uh, you know we don't know about the injury. It seemed like it was just kind of soreness because he's back to practice. So maybe it was just the team kind of taking it slow with him. Um, I will say though, the Big Twelve thing. You know, your comment kind of reminded me of our interview with Jason Kersey the Oklahoma rider. And he was, you know, basically like, listen, you know, so much of the linebacker position in the NFL is like gap integrity. Right. And it's not necessarily being like the best athlete. It's like mm-hmm. really knowing your positions and, and knowing when to attack the gaps and when to take on a blocker. And, you know, that was not Kenneth Murray's job at Oklahoma. Right. Kenneth Murray's job at Oklahoma was, was basically see ball, get ball. And uh, obviously he was really good at it. He's, he's got an incredible motor and uh, it, but he definitely needs to, you know, kind of learn the nuances of the position and um, hopefully he's able to learn that. And I do think the team is going to take it slow. You know, I think Denzel Perryman has a, a role on this team and, and that's fine. As long as he's healthy, he's been a capable player. So, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I think both of us are on the same page that we should be expecting this team to kind of ease Kenneth Murray into being a starting linebacker because that's what this team has always done. This team has always made sure that their rookies on defense really understand the position before they kind of throw them into the fire. We saw that with Derwin James. We saw that with Drew Tranquil. So um, you don't be expecting Kenneth Murray to have 15 tackles in week two against the Chiefs because I don't think he's on the field for enough plays to do that. <laughs> right. So um, 
the the kind of last thing that I wanted to talk about is you know uh, Daniel Popper released a stock watch of of sorts, and really the biggest name that he put his stock down is Desmond King. Um, you know we we've been speculating that Desmond King might get the short end of the stick in in terms of reps because of Chris Harris and and Nasir Adderley being a second round pick, and it seems that. That is coming to fruition. It's you know he. I think he'll have a role. I think he'll fit into the dimebacker position. Obviously, that's not going to be playing a, a whole ton. Um, you know, obviously, if if everyone's healthy, it seems like the starting corner lineup is Michael Davis, Chris Harris, and Casey Hayward. Um, and then it seems that Nasir Adderley is going to be the first defensive back off the bench. So, uh, what do you make of the whole of Desmond King's role going forward? Right. I think there's two things that kind of eat into his role. One is Chris Harris, who's obviously going to be playing slot. He'll be playing outside, right? But any any snaps that you're taking at slot are obviously taking away from Desmond King. Then I think the other thing that takes away from Desmond King is Nasir Adderley, right? Because people have talked about him, and Popper has written about him previously as kind of like the... Um, second sort of second string dimebacker if you will right he's kind of the guy that the chargers are looking to get more on the field um as time goes on and you know he'll compete to to an extent with Rayshon jenkins for free safety but i think it's more likely that he'll actually be competing with desmond king a little bit for uh that dimebacker type role um so if you have chris harris taking away your slot snaps and then you know, the Chargers trying to get uh, Nissi Radderly as much as they can on the field. I think those are the two things that take away from Desmond King getting as much as he, uh, getting as many snaps as he can in 2020. Yeah, and a lot of people on Twitter were speculating that maybe Desmond King might shift outside. You know, we've never seen Desmond do that. Even at Iowa, no. he was not an outside corner. Um, could he occasionally do that? Maybe, but, you know, I think people are kind of just holding on to the past with Desmond King and maybe 2019 is really who Desmond King is, you know, as someone that's really inconsistent, he's a really good tackler, really inconsistent in coverage. And, you know, obviously they went after Chris Harris for a reason. And we saw glimpses of that in hard knocks of him, you know, you know, doing a very good job against Keenan Allen in, in practice. And it seems like that has kind of continued and, you know, I know Chris Harris is not great on the outside, but on the inside, he's still a very effective player. And, you know, that was a big weakness for the Chargers last year because Desmond King took a big, big, big step back. And even when he was at an all-pro level, he was never great in coverage. It was just that he was making so many plays, you know, blitzing and tackling in space and, and it just kind of masked his issues in coverage. And so I think, you know, they really wanted to target a slot corner and, and have someone that can really you know, cover guys in space more than be a great tackler. Right. It just kind of seems like the coaching staff has kind of decided a little bit already in terms of what right. the season's going to be. So, you know, even Popper mentions in the article that, like, you know, it's not really that Desmond King's having a bad camp. It's just kind of, you know, they brought Chris Harris in, uh, you know, and they have Nassir Adderley, who they want to get on the field a lot. So, you know, those two guys are going to eat at him and... That's just going to be the net effect, and um, you know, basically, you're not sure if Desmond King can really prove himself in training camp to get those snaps back, um, just because it seems like the coaching staff has kind of made up their mind already. So it does seem, in general, that um, 
you know, like you mentioned with Desmond King, it does seem that most of the position battles are wrapping up. Um, you know, I think left tackle Sam Tevy pretty much has that locked down as much as, you know, Daniel Popper said that Trey Pipkins continues to improve, but it just seems like, you know, the, the team is, is ready to have Sam Tevy as the starting left tackle. Um, you know, wide receiver three, I feel like is probably the position that is still most up for the grabs and maybe running back two. Um, it seems that Steven Anderson has distanced himself from Donald Parham. Um, as exciting as the potential of Donald Parham is, I think, you know, we never really knew what he was going to be like. And it seems like he was making some good progress as a blocker. But, you know, Steven Anderson has a good connection with both quarterbacks. He's made some big plays as a receiver. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. But for the most part, it does seem like these position battles are wrapping up. And then, uh, obviously, the scrimmage tomorrow, well, obviously, if you're listening now, then you'll have watched the scrimmage, hopefully, on NFL Network. Um, but the scrimmage is going to tell us a lot how this team views certain players and who has an edge in certain spots or not. Right. So the Steven Anderson thing, I think, is interesting um, I think they might just be leaning on the idea, you know, Steven Anderson obviously has a lot of NFL experience, um, and he's, you know, been a veteran in the league for a while, so I think that's why he might get some distance uh, from Parham, right? Obviously, Parham has all the kind of physical abilities um, and athleticism that, you know, it, it's so tempting to, you know, want, want to put him in a red zone package with Henry uh, just right. to, you know, see what he can do. But, Especially with Mike Williams being out. Right. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they did something like keep Anderson on the roster and then, you know, try to put Donald Parham on the practice squad. But then, you know, if you want to put Donald Parham on the practice squad, that gets into a whole thing is like, is a team going to claim Donald Parham on waivers? Right. So you get into that whole conversation. To me, I kind of just view Anderson as more replaceable than Parham, right, due to those physical traits, and I think that you can find a Lance Kendricks, if you know, or someone like that if you really want to replace Anderson. I just see a lot of potential in Parham with his speed, his athleticism, uh, and what he can do, and he's only like 22 years old. Um, right. I, I just look at him and I'm like, I don't know if I want to give up on that, but... You know, if they really think that there's a significant gap between Anderson and Parham, then I think you have to go with Anderson. But, um, yeah, I hope in that event then they find a way to stick him on the practice squad and hope Bill Belichick doesn't notice. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bill Belichick loves his tight end. So, um, the last guy I wanted to talk about in this stock down is Forrest Lamp. Um, I don't think that Daniel Popper is is suggesting that the Chargers could potentially cut Forrest Lamp. Um, but that being said, would it surprise you if they did cut him? Um, I don't. Who are the guards on the roster right now? Right. It, so there's Dan Feeney and Trey Turner, obviously. Right. Um, I think Scott Questenberry is maybe could do both. I guess. I don't right. know. And there's Ryan Groy. And then Trent Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any um like undrafted guys? I don't quite remember if there's any of that. So there. there's um shoot, what's his name? There is one. Um, Dunlop, right? I think I think yeah. Dunlop is one of them. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's a way that Forrest Lamp gets cut, um, just because 
I think it's better to have him on the roster than not have him, right? You know, right. If, if he stays healthy, you know, we've seen how he played last year, so I think to that extent, but it certainly seems like he's underperforming in camp so far up to this point. I hope that doesn't continue. I'd love to see Forrest Lamp on the field, but, you know, if he doesn't have it after these injuries, then he doesn't have it. And I, I don't know if they're going to... I don't think they're going to cut him. He only has a year left in his deal anyway, so this is basically his contract year. Um, I just think it's unfortunate the way his career's gone, but it it doesn't shock me that he's down. And, you know, I think you just have to look at Feeney, um, you know, even kind of some of the other options that they have there uh, as being sort of more, more strong than Lamp at this point. Um, I, I just don't know how he's going to compete with some of these other guys when, you know, he has the, these injuries and has just been out of the loop for a while and now has the challenge of this offseason. So, you know, it's just gone the wrong way between uh, Forrest Lamp and the Chargers. Yeah. I was just thinking because normally NFL teams keep around, they keep nine offensive linemen. And so... Uh, you'll have Tevi. You obviously have the starting five, right? Trey Pipkins is going to make the roster. Storm Norton's going to make the roster. Um, they seem to like Ryan Gray a lot. You know, he can kind of do center and guard. I just think, you know, Popper mentions here. He says before the camp, the coaches mentioned Lamp as a potential candidate for le- left tackle, but he hasn't gotten a single rep there in nine practices. So I'm just kind of thinking, you know, they're really valuing versatility right now, right? And so. Scott Questenberry can do guard and center. Ryan Groy can do guard and center. They apparently think Trent Scott can do guard and tackle. Uh, Storm Norton can do both sides of the tackle. So I'm just thinking maybe they just are not in love with what Forrest Lamp is giving them. And, you know, maybe they think he's only a guard. Maybe they're not liking what they've seen at tackle. So I don't know. I just, I'm at the point where I, I don't think it would shock me if they decided to cut Forrest Lamp because they have Trey Pipkins, they have Storm Norton who are going to make it. I think one of Scott Questenberry and Ryan Groy will make it. And Anthony Lynn loves Trent Scott, so I, I don't know. I think if Forrest Lamp does get cut, it wouldn't shock me. Well, see, the thing is that Trent Scott actually can do guard and tackle. He just can't do them well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's very, that. Very but... true. Very true. I I do wonder if when we talk about someone like Trent Scott, it's the fact that he's played more um, than, you know, Forrest Lamp, and he got that experience last year. So I wonder if that's something that would push him over the top. And they they did use some kind of uh, tender. I think they used the exclusive rights tender on him this year. Um, So, you know, I think they want to keep him in the fold just because he's you know, he, he was able to play last year, able to play a full season. It wouldn't shock me if Lamp got cut when you mention the fact that they usually keep nine, and you can make an argument that the nine guys they would keep are kind of all more important or more experienced than Lamp in some way uh, in terms of how often they've been able to stay on the field. But as of now, I I feel like it's probably a little too early, and, you know, we'll see what happens at this scrimmage and um, how things are unfold in this last week before uh, before the uh, final cuts. I, I don't see them cutting him, but I guess it's always possible. But I, 
I don't think he would be able to make the practice squad again because I think some team would pick up Forrest Lamp just on the off chance that they're able to be the ones that fix him. So I, I feel like some team would claim him on waivers. But you never know. Maybe his value is in that in the toilet. So I don't know. Man, that, that's tough. I, I was... I. Yeah, I've said this a few times on the podcast. I was so excited when they drafted Forrest Lamp. Um, right. I, w- I wanted them to take him the first round that year, but um, you know, it just it's just these injuries, man. And maybe that's another thing. Maybe they look at Trent Scott and say, you know, he's never really been hurt. Right. He can has a little more positional versatility, and Forrest Lamp has been hurt every single year and really doesn't maybe have that versatility. So, you know, I I, uh, I also think it's kind of a thing like. When we talk about Anthony Lynn, it's like, well, you, you know, he keeps, you know, people talk about, you know, keeping around, like, all the hurt guys, and it's like, well, then he keep or he keeps around, like, maybe someone like Trent Scott, so it's like, you know, he's kind of in, like, an unwinnable position where, you know, if he, say, cuts Trent Scott and then keeps Forrest Lamp, but then Forrest Lamp gets hurt again, right, so, you know, then he'll be kind of judged on that decision to some extent. So, right. you know, it's kind of the dilemma between keeping maybe a less efficient, uh, a less, uh, I guess a player that's less in quality, but has more consistency and has been able to play versus, uh, kind of a player with some peak potential. But, you know, there's been guys that Anthony Lynn's kept that he's gotten bashed on for keeping. Uh, and then, you know, some of those players haven't worked out in his tenure here. Um, right. you know, so it, to me, it's just a matter of, it's sort of an unwinnable position and to an extent, it's also not an important one, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely wish the battle with Feeney and Lamp was, was closer, um, just because, you know, Lamp did come in with all that hype and was that second round pick, um, the Chargers, but it's just a shame that it hasn't panned out that way so far. Yeah, and it's also you know important to remember that this team wanted to have Dan Feeney as the starting center, and then Mike Pouncey kind of fell in their laps. So, you know, it's just been kind of a butterfly effect for uh, for Forrest Lamp. I will say one of the nicest things about this training camp has been that we don't have to worry about kicker and punter. Um, and that's something that George Stewart <laughs> kind of mentioned uh, in his press conference. Right. You know, these you know they they uh, at the reporters asked him if you know why they didn't bring in any competition for them and he was like listen we trust them you know we like Ty Long we like uh Michael Badgley and Ty Long reportedly had a 70 yard punt right. in practice a few weeks or a few days ago so that has been you know one of the nicer things about this training camp is you know we don't have to worry about the kicker and the punter situation for I think the first time really in my life are you telling me that you don't want to go through the Roberto Aguayo and Caleb Sturgis chronicles <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was that was bad. That was not fun. Or Young Way Koo, man. Uh, <laughs> well, or I, I was or uh, 2016 when I was always wondering if they were going to bring back Nick Novak, and then eventually they did, and he was just awful. <laughs> uh, so, uh, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? No, uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. So the scrimmage will be tomorrow slash yesterday, uh, since you guys are. <laughs> listening to this podcast in the future but uh yeah that's about it and we're a week away from cuts so uh you know i i'd like to say yeah cuts are cuts are an unfortunate time because obviously some guys are going to lose their jobs uh, and that's unfortunate but it's um it's a business like that 
But, you know, so I don't know if cuts are something to celebrate, but we will be talking about them and how they affect the team. Um, but, yeah, I hope definitely some of those guys make that 16-man practice squad um, so, you know, they can have the blow less at the little and have a chance to stick with the Chargers. Yeah, absolutely. I think the 16-man practice squad, I, I hope this is something that the league does going forward as well because it really is a good way to keep guys around and make sure that they do have a chance to stick around in the NFL. Um, obviously I mentioned Forrest Lamb. Do you have someone that you think could be a surprise cut from this team as well? Um, I think it could be a surprise cut. I don't know if it would be a surprise because people have predicted it, but Perriman wouldn't shock me. Um, you, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he was cut. I'm trying to think of someone more surprising. Um... Just I I don't think it's gonna happen, but Justin Jackson would would kind of I don't think it would happen. But if we're talking about Joe Reed potentially playing running back and getting snaps there, plus they love Joshua Kelly, plus they have Eckler, and maybe they're not so high on Jackson anymore, plus the injury last year and the fact that he was only a seventh round pick, I don't think they would cut Jackson. I think he's definitely gonna make the roster, but maybe you know maybe they sort of get tired of a guy like him or maybe someone like, uh, you know, <laughs> the Darius Bradwell, uh, you know, <laughs> at some point he in hard knocks, you know, Lynn's been impressed with him despite the fact that he's 20 pounds overweight, uh, <laughs> in some right. of the scenes, but you know, maybe he makes an impact. So I, I just wonder if, you know, I wonder if they view Justin Jackson's position on the team, uh, with a little bit more skepticism with than fans do just because they did take Joshua Kelly in the fourth round and they, and they have tried to, you know, fit in other guys at running back. So, uh, I don't, I don't think he's going to get cut. I think there's very little chance of that, but if there was a name to be a surprise, it would probably be him. Good call. I think that is, I think that is probably a, a realistic, um, surprise cut as well. So, Good stuff, man. You know, I'm really excited about football season getting closer. Uh, we also have our Bolt Beat Fantasy Draft this week, which is crazy. Uh, uh-huh. I haven't done a single mock draft, which, you know, a little bit different than usual. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. And then, uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for today. Make sure you guys follow us on social media. Um, at Stephen I. Haglin, at Alex Lansdorf, and at GC Podcast 17 um, I did an Instagram Live from our podcast account. Uh, last week and it went well um, thinking about maybe doing that again so if I do maybe me and Alex can do one together we'll see uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram as well uh, that'll do it for this show guys thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time see you it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 